Good morning. I want to welcome you to this place. If we have not met, I'm Shay Ryanga. I'm blessed to be one of the pastors here. And as you can see, we're finishing our sermon series called Joy to the World. We're going to look at verse 3 today. And before we do that, I just want to remind you 10, 2, 4, 6, and 8. 10, 2, 4, 6, and 8. The 23rd and the 24th, those are all identical times, identical services. And then on the 24th, we have a special 10 o'clock traditional service an 11.30, 30-minute communion service so we can take communion and, and sing Silent Night on Christmas Day. So I want to draw your attention to those times. And if it works out for your schedule, I'm not telling you which service to go to, but if it works out that you can come the 23rd, that would be great because um, the 24th, especially at 4, 6, and 8, it is packed. So I just want you to be mindful of that. As we continue joy to the world, um, one word we're going to lift up today that's not a word we typically hear or say a whole lot at Christmas time is the word curse. And joy to the world is one of those songs um, where for some of us it might have uh, the curse of being too familiar. <laughs> and we can, we can forget because of the repetition and all the other songs that we sing of what's contained within the song joy to the world. And verse three is one of those verses that as the song gets redone and redone and redone and pentatonics and whoever else sings the song over and over and over again, um, this verse is the one that often gets dropped. It doesn't often get included because it doesn't fit as nice and neat as some of the other verses. Um, the phrase joy to the world doesn't actually appear in this third verse of the song, joy to the world. And I want to read it for us again. We just read it together, but we didn't read the last part of the verse, even in the reading that we read this morning for the Advent candle lighting. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found, far as the curse is found. It's kind of a strange verse to read maybe at Christmas time. It highlights for us, um, this isn't rocking around the Christmas tree or chestnuts roasting on an open fire. We see the contrast with some of our Christmas carols versus what our Christmas hymns are about. And as much as I appreciate and enjoy the Christmas carols, Joy to the world highlights for us, this third verse highlights for us, we have a tendency to romanticize Christmas a little bit. We uh, have a tendency to be maybe overly sentimental when it comes to Christmas and what Christmas is about. And when I think about the Christmas gatherings and going to family Christmas, it's as a kid, especially, it's, it was all perfect. Like I, I just in my mind, as we got together as a family, like there were no struggles, there were no problems. It was just all presents and good food and getting to see my cousins that I hadn't got to see in so long, the few times of the year, like it was all good, it was all perfect. And I don't know if you've ever watched VHS tapes of your family Christmases. I remember in elementary school, my dad had that bazooka of a camera that he would film family gatherings with. And so growing up, I would watch these special gatherings over and over and over again. And it just looked, I remembered it all like it was perfect. And as I've gotten older and I've heard some of the stories my family has shared, um, I remember watching Christmas 1988. And I didn't know it at the time because I was three years old. 
but that was Granny's last Christmas. I didn't know at the time how severe breast cancer was. My mom's mom, Granny. And my Uncle Mark looked younger than I am now, my mom's youngest brother. He was home from the military. And it was a big deal because we hadn't got to see Uncle Mark in a long time. And, and news had just broken. Of course, I didn't know at the time because I was three years old. I didn't understand world affairs. But news had broken that the Iran-Iraq conflict had just ended and he was serving in the military at the time. And we weren't that involved in that conflict. But, but again, just experiencing Christmas in a way that as I started to reflect on this, it started to make a little more sense as to what this verse three of joy to the world is about. What makes joy to the world so powerful is it sums up and says what so many of our Christmas songs don't say. This isn't a peaceful world that Christ enters into. This isn't a world, and this hit me this week because as I'm watching (laughs) Stephen play and Ava sing, and we had, a, we had a funeral here on Saturday for a 20-year-old who tragically lost his life and trying to you know, hold those two realities together. Like that's the world that Christ enters into. This, and this phrase, and spending time with the family, like the phrase that they remember most about their son was he used to always say, because he had this kind of spirit about him, right? He just, he, he, he had this resilience in his life that, that it, it, it's gonna be fine. It's gonna be fine. Like over and over and over again, like the phrase that stood out to them more often than not that their son always said, because nothing kept him down, was it's gonna be fine. It's gonna be fine. And yet it isn't fine, <laughs> And so it's that deeper reality and that deeper truth that this verse and joy to the world really speaks into. This is a turning point in the history of the world. This is a turning point in the history of heaven for all things visible and invisible. It's a cosmic event with sweeping implications. And this verse alludes to what we see in Genesis chapter three, verses 17 to 19. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat fruit from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, to dust you will return. So because, again, this allusion to the beginning of all things because of our disobedience, Because we did the thing we were told by God not to do, all of our relationships, our relationships with God, our relationships with each other, our relationships with creation were affected. Freedom is real and we can, we can live in rebellion. And when we do, there are wide sweeping implications and consequences for that. And the devil makes one small act of defiance seem like a virtue. 
It's just one act. It's just one thing. Just do this and you'll have greater knowledge. If you eat of this fruit, you'll become like God. Seems virtuous. It's just one scoop of ice cream. You, can, you have self-control. It's just one lie that in the end might help you get ahead. It's just one time. It's just one missed assignment. It's just one zero. You can overcome that. You've got time. You can make up for that. Or, or it, it's, just, it's just this one deadline. Like family time and all your sleep can wait for this one deadline because it's good work that you've got to do. It's just one time. And we think one is such a small number when one time is enough to set a precedent. And if we can justify doing it one time, we can justify doing it any number of times. And it's how that unholy, that unholy trinity of sin, of death, and the devil get in and can creep in and have a foothold in our life. C.S. Lewis describes it this way in a story many of us are very familiar with and, and some of us can get at this reality that's painted for us at the beginning of Genesis in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. If you remember that story, it's an easier way maybe for us to understand the gravity of this reality as Mr. Tumnus. And I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna give you the summary of the whole book. I invite you to read it or watch the movie if you haven't. But, but this is what Mr. Tumnus says. It is winter. It's winter in Narnia, said Mr. Tumnus, and has been forever so long. Always winter, but never Christmas. Always winter, but never Christmas. And we see the winter of our own weary world, don't we? <laughs> and our inability to do the things that we used to do. I could, throw, I, could, I could heave it a little farther a few years ago than I can now in the flu that gets passed on to us from our kids, <laughs> in the things that start breaking down, in the wars and the rumors of wars and the violence in our world and the poverty and the injustice and the list goes on and on. We know the winter of our weary world, but Christmas is coming. The ice and the snow is melting. And in the book, in the book it's described this way, as Father Christmas comes to visit the children who were staying with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver, that the powers of the white witch, the reason in this world of Narnia the world is what it is, these, these powers seem to be failing. He was a huge man, Father Christmas is described, in a bright red robe, bright as holly berries with a hood that had fur inside it and a great white beard that felt like a foamy waterfall over his chest. Now that the children actually stood looking at him, he was so big and so glad and so real and that they, that they all became quite still. They felt very glad but also solemn. I've come at last, said he, she has kept me out for a long time, but I have got in at last. Aslan is on the move. The witch's magic is weakening and Lucy felt that deep shiver of gladness that you only get if you are being solemn and still. 
And that's an analogous way of us understanding our world. Here is the diagnosis that the Apostle Paul gives this this world that we're describing. I consider from Romans chapter 8, I consider that our present suffering are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, we wait for it patiently. And the Advent season is about waiting patiently for the hope of the earth who comes to turn our winter of this weary world into spring. He comes to melt away the sins and the sorrows and get rid of the thorns and the thistles that infest the ground. He comes to melt away the injustice and the oppression that plagues our reality. And our waiting isn't doing nothing. It's waiting prayerfully and expectantly. It's living with some solemn stillness It's doing the work that we're called to do because we have the first fruits of the Spirit upon us. And so we wait with eager expectation. The curse of winter is coming to an end. As Paul reminds us again in Galatians that Christ redeemed us from the curse, from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. By becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hung on a pole. Quoting Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 23. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Jesus comes to take our place. We deserve to bear the punishment of our actions for all of our disobedience. We don't deserve this gift. Yet Christ comes so that we might receive the blessing given to Abraham. He takes our place. Christmas is beginning as Christ takes our place so that we can receive the original blessing God intended to give us. He comes to make his blessings flow, we're reminded in this song. He comes to make his blessings flow. And that's how this whole story starts for us, that, in, that God's default setting is to bless and not to curse. <laughs> he makes creation and calls it good. He doesn't create a world before, before all of the violence 
before all the, the ground being cursed and before this plague of sin, God makes a good world and a beautiful world and he desires from the beginning to give us this promise to be a blessing to the nations, to be blessed so that we can bless others. And this is God's nature. Unlike how other world religions spell it out, unlike how other people may describe the existence and the reality of the world, God's initial default setting is to bless and not to curse. And over and over and over again, he creates us out of his loving kindness. He gives us his favor. He gives us his protection so we can do the same to others. For surely, for surely, as Hebrew says, it is not the angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in every way, in order that we might become a merciful, he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people because he himself suffered when he was tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. In order to help us, he had to become like us. And it might seem strange to, at the beginning of Jesus' life, when we look forward to the birth of Christ to talk about the end of his life, but we can't, we can't separate Jesus' life from his coming to his living and his teaching to the end. We can't separate for us because it describes that in every way. The essential part of that passage for us is that he came in every way to experience what we experience what it's like to be born, what it's like to live at home, what it's like to live through seasons of life and transition into a time of teaching and preaching and performing miracles to a time when he has to fulfill what he started, what he came to fulfill by dying and being raised from the dead. He experiences all those things. And it's because he comes in every way that we have hope. It's because he knows exactly what it's like. Like many of us gather around Christmas time and we remember how things used to be. We remember when maybe some of our gatherings were a little better, when we had more loved ones around the table at dinner time. We remember the time <laughs> when, when some of our family and friends that gather around the holiday, they, they just had, they had more life in them and they just seem to be a shell of themselves. We realize time is too short, and we remember and wish there were certain parts of our life, there's certain seasons of our life, we had more time, there was more, there was more time present there. And talking with my dad, we're not gonna get to celebrate Christmas with, with Papaw this year. And he just describes to me over and over again, as I, and I think about this because we're not gonna get to have Christmas with him, that it's just, he's, he's not there anymore, you know? And he's been preparing for this. He's known the day, well, the day hasn't come yet, but he's known the day's gonna come. <laughs> and in his head, he understands it, but in his heart, every time he goes up to Indiana to visit Papal, he's just not, he's not ready yet. We're not ready to experience this world without 
without a life that's made such a dramatic impact on the world. And I thought about that with, with this just the gift of this 20-year-old who lost his life too soon. And, and I know, and, and I had to share that with the family, like, like there's times, you all know the times, you can recall them. You just wish now, knowing what you know, that you could just extend the time. And if we fast forward to the end of Jesus' life, we see again, and the way that he's born, and kind of some of the awkward situations some of us were born, we see at the end of his life this hope and the tragedy of what he has to endure as he sits in the garden and he asks God for there to be another way. He asks, for, he asks his father, like, if there's another way, please, like, if there's another way. And he asks his disciples, those who are closest to him, those who've been with him every step in the way, can you stay awake? Can you stay awake? Please, can you stay awake? And to Jesus, the answer from the Father and the answer from his disciples is no. To Jesus. To Jesus. In both cases, the answer is no. To the firstborn over all creation, God of God, light of light, true God of true God. To Jesus, the answer is no. It's important we understand what Advent's about, the incarnation. He comes to be human in every way despised and rejected, he even experiences what it's like to be told no to those closest to him. And yet not what I want and not my will, but yours be done. And it's because you've heard me say this before, Jesus is really the only one. Even though many of us go through life and we feel like we're the only one, the accidental death of a child, the plague of sickness, the inward longing of, of, of this world and what our lives become and Christmas sometimes for many of our families is a sign of, 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 our, of our life and our world not being fine. It's just not fine. It's just not fine. And all of that being the case, we feel like sometimes that we're the only one, but Jesus really is the only one who knows what it's like to be the only one. And because of that, we have hope. Because he came to experience and to take our place as a substitute for what we deserve in every way because he did all of that for us and, and knows more than our collective nightmares. He experiences a kind of sorrow and a kind of pain as he knows the sin and suffering of the world in ways that are deeper and darker than our collective nightmares because he is the only one who knows what it's like to be the only one. Whatever place we find ourselves at Christmas time, we have hope because he overcame. And so when the answer is no, when we don't get what we want for Christmas and not just superficial presents, right? But when we don't get what we want at Christmas, if you, you, you know, if, if life isn't all right, at Christmas, will we still understand and see the goodness of God even when the answer is no, when we cry out and we pray to him and we long for, for a different kind of situation and a different kind of circumstance, when God's answer is no, 
Do you still believe his grace and his mercy is available in reaching out to you when the answer is no? Because even Jesus knows what it's like to be told no, and still he is faithful. He comes to make his blessings flow by becoming part of the winter storm, by becoming the curse for us so that we will no longer be cursed. Because he was born, we can still be a blessing. And the question is, is why? Like, why go through all this? Like, God doesn't need to go through all this. He doesn't, there's, there's not this need in God, right? There's not, there's not a hole in God's life and God's being that somehow we fill for him. God doesn't need us, but God wants us. He wants us to be part of his family. He wants us so much that he would go, that he would be born the way he was born, that he would live the life that he lived and he would endure what he endured. He, he wants us to be his son and his daughter. He wants us to be part of his family more than he doesn't want to go to the cross and do what we cannot comprehend. It's because of who God is. that because he experienced reality and what it means to be human in every way, that there is a day coming, and joy to the world touches on this, not only in light of the resurrection, not only in light of, of Christ being born, but in light of the end and Christ coming again, when the ground will no longer be cursed and the thorns and thistles will be burnt away and there will be no more sorrowing and there will be no more pain and there will be no more need to cry. He comes, he comes to make his blessings flow, which is what he's always wanted from the beginning of creation. He's come to fulfill that promise in a way that only he can. So how will you be a blessing this Christmas, regardless of the circumstances and situations of your life? We can identify the way in which we've been blessed how will we let the blessings flow outwardly from us to bless those who come around at Christmas time, to bless those in our life? Because in Advent, as Christ is born, we see this movement in God, this movement that will forever change the history of the earth, that will forever change the history of heaven in ways we don't understand. We see God is on the move. God is on the move. And there's a praise song that says, bodies are still being raised. Bodies are still being raised. And giants are still being slayed. God, we believe it. Yes, we receive it that wonders are still what you do. Still what you do. And we marvel at that we sing joy to the world, taking in everything that means for us in the gift that God gives us at Christmas time. That God is on the move and we need that movement. We need this change because it's in this child that is born that we have hope. And we are hopeless without him. Will you please pray with me?
God, we are thankful. Your will above all else is why we can sing joy to the world. It's why we know that we are not destined to be cursed, even though that's probably what we deserve. That you became that for us. You took on the weight of the world and all its sin and sorrow and suffering for us and our salvation. And that all begins here in Advent as we anticipate and wait patiently for the coming of the child that is a sign for us of the peaceable kingdom that will come. It's a sign for us of the day where there will be no more war. There will be no more sorrow and no more pain. So God, help us receive the gift. Help us be still and thankful for the light that is breaking in to this world that's so full of darkness. We are thankful for your light. Help us wait patiently and do the work that you've called us to do to help others come to see that light that is our hope. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.